0: Welcome to The Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts, Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Hello,
1: welcome to our, um, our, our podcast, The Connection. Uh, today's hosts are me, Andrew, or should I say I? I, I Andrew, uh, you, Alexis, Hi. And you, Bishop Jason, Dr. Bishop Jason Keister.
0: Happy to be here. Let's go.
1: How long How long did med school take?
0: Uh, Four years of med school and then three years of residency. So you
1: took seven years to add doctor to your name?
0: I did. Was it yeah. worth it? Could you just go to like the government and say,
1: hey, I'd like to change my name to
0: doctor. <laughs>
1: I'm just I'm, wondering, like, is that something you could do?
0: I'm sure you could. Yeah.
2: You okay. should become knighted in, what is that, Scotland? Where would you get become a knight?
1: You could become a lord by paying a lord? for like a centimeter oh of land in Scotland. You should do that or so
2: you can have more titles. I'll you tell c-
0: you I'll tell you the one thing though is I'm also a professor and my kids find that incredibly more impressive than being a doctor. Mm-hmm. Are
1: you actually a professor?
0: Yeah, I'm a professor at OHSU. Is that
1: like the first Oregon thing my Health kids asked school university? Uh,
0: yep. And the first thing the kids asked was, Are you a professor like the people at Hogwarts.
1: <laughs> wait, so, wait, was I actually right with that acronym? Oregon Health School University?
0: Oh, I didn't. Oregon Health and Science University. Oh, my bad. Yep. That's so close.
1: <laughs> Hi, welcome to our podcast. Sister Thank you. Should we call you Lou? Or
3: uh, Sister Lou's Brzo? good.
1: Lou. Hello, Lou. Welcome to our
0: podcast. <laughs> this is one of the episodes we've been <laughs> most you. excited about doing uh, just so excited to get to know you a little bit better, Lou. Okay. And thankfully to
1: our production schedule, you get to be our second podcast. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Did you listen to our first podcast? Yes. Did you like it?
3: It was pretty good.
1: Were my jokes good?
3: I, I was just um, oh. kind of thought, well, podcast, there's no uh, pictures. And then I went to look at the definition of podcast.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's funny. I like it. The only picture we have associated to us is the Kiser's dog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's changing Joels doing actually some art pod- for us. Yeah, so. we're
1: getting podcast art tonight. It's going to be awesome. Exciting. Hopefully, hopefully tonight. Yeah. Anyways, um do we want to
2: like start with an introduction or do you want to start with yeah, your first question? I think question? well, I think we want to know more about you like um where did you grow up, Lou?
3: Okay. So, I was born and raised in the Philippines and I have um 15, 14 siblings, um, we are 11 girls, no, 12 girls, and three boys.
1: Is that 14 including you? Uh, that's 15?
3: 15 total, uh, including
1: me. 12 girls including yeah. you.
3: Uh-huh. Where do you fall girls, in the boys. line of birth order? Um, the what?
2: Where do you fall in that line of birth oh, order? Oh, I am
3: in the middle. So I am the, um, how do you call this, the pacifier in the family
1: like the peacemaker the peacemaker so you, in the
3: family because everybody goes to me when they have travels from the youngest to the middle and from the oldest to the middle
1: wait are so, you like the eighth child because that'd be the that'd be the, exact I am the eighth child oh yeah okay good this is awesome okay <laughs> i am the <laughs> oldest so i don't know what that's like
4: <laughs>
1: but there's no middle child because it's an oldest of four so uh, there's no true. peace in our home Well,
3: yeah, well, you know, when um, the older siblings have problems to the, about the younger siblings, then they tell me because it's almost like um, there's a generational gap between the oldest and the youngest because, you know, so then since I mingle with the younger ones and I also mingle with the older ones, so I don't know why I've, I've been selected as the Peacemaker in the family. So,
0: so Lou, are you still the peacemaker in the family?
3: We are still. Yep, I'm still a mediator. I'm, I'm a mediator.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and where's where's your family all located now?
3: Um, a lot bonkers. of us are in Oregon, and one in Canada, one in Washington, and three in the Philippines.
1: What? What? Uh, were you guys on like Luzon?
3: Yes, we are in the Luzon Island. And I was born in a city in a city called Baguio. It's in uh, it's in a mountain province, and um, yeah, that's the coolest part of the Philippines is Baguio. We have pine trees and all that stuff.
2: Oh really? Yes, that's so cool. I didn't know
3: that. And we have fog in, in the morning because we're up in the mountains and.
0: You know so cold enough to where you would get snow oh, occasionally or
3: we it's cold enough that when I went home but there sometime in January, I was really cold. It's almost like I did not bring any winter coats or winter clothes because I thought it was warmer, so then I was cold,
1: but you didn't get snow there,
3: Sometimes sometime no it it doesn't snow, but it
1: hails, okay,, yeah. so it's kind of like Oregon. <laughs>
3: Kinda of like Oregon. Is it yeah. a bit warmer than Oregon? Without without the snow. And a little bit warmer than Oregon. Yep.
1: So are the mountains in like comparison to like just our local uh, valley, is it about the same? Uh
3: yeah. Well, the mountains there, if if you've seen a picture of uh, the rice terraces, mm-hmm. the, the natives in the Banget province um carved big mountains into rice terraces. So cool. that's how they it's beautiful, you know it's one of the eighth wonder of the world,
1: oh, that's where you okay, wait, no, I know what
2: mm-hmm. you're talking about now, yeah, oh, so that's, the, same.
3: that's like, where it is. We are well, I'm not exactly there, but i'm um, we're eight hours away from there, okay. so wait. we go up the eight those hours mountains walking. yeah uh dry uh bus. bus bus, yeah, or driving It's
1: like
3: yeah, okay. and then the houses over there too are. Uh, close to the cliffs in in that Benguet province, you go in a zigzag, and you will see houses hanging on a cliff. It's almost like I wouldn't live there, you know. When
4: <laughs> <Right over.
3: laughs> but yeah, but Baguio is a nice, nice place. Used to be a nice place. Right?
1: So you grew up I entirely grew- in the Philippines, or yes,
3: you- I grew up in the Philippines. Still, I moved here. Um, after my mission, I moved. To- to the United States.
1: How were, so? How old were you then?
3: Uh, when when I when came you moved to do when it. I moved, I was thirty one.
1: Thirty one. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: Um. When you were allowed to go on your mission, how? What was the minimum age woman could go at the time?
3: Um. Twenty one. Twenty one. Uh, women has to be twenty one. So I had to wait uh, two and a half years to go on a mission after my conversion, and then I went on a mission. And at that time, when I went on the mission, there was only one mission, which is the Philippines-Manila mission. And we covered the whole Philippine island. And that was nice, because you can be sent to Timbuktu and, you know, and all that stuff. But, and then when I left the mission field, there were two missions.
1: Timbuktu is in the Philippines? Timbuktu is in the Philippines. Oh yeah, I'm just so used to saying Timbuktu is a faraway place. Yeah, I thought it was was
4: in (laughs) Western Africa. Oh, the
3: the Timbuktu that's really you know um let me see, not really uncivilized, but it's very provincial. Like, um, the mode of transportation is mostly walking or cart, and so, but. And during that time, the church was new too, so the proselyting was um very exciting because um when I was on my mission field, it was about a thousand convert every month, and so you know it was really ripe
0: and maybe just help us understand too, because i I've never been to the Philippines, I've mm-hmm. had some friends that have gone on missions there mm-hmm. um Shout out to Jordan Moon, um, but uh, maybe predominant religion there, what's kind of the religious atmosphere like when you go serve your mission?
3: Mm-hmm. It was um, pre- predominantly Catholics, that's why it's very easy to convert them, because Catholics are very religious, In, in they, they believe in God. They, but there's so many things that they believe in that sometimes, because I was a Catholic once, and I was oh, in the family, I was tagged to be the nun. To, and so then I started going to school in the convent and since first grade. And people are just religious, especially, you know, and they're kind. I, I remember people being kind because they're religious. But the only thing is, you know, um, being Catholic, it's almost like prayers are repetitious. And then when I was in sixth grade, I think sixth grade or seventh grade, I started asking the the nuns. Mm -hmm. And one of the nuns I asked, I said, "Uh, why are we repeating prayers? You know, like... We say the rosary every six o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the evening, and it's the same prayer every day. And so I said, How is Heavenly Father knowing my needs if we're always doing the rosary? Hail Mary and our Father, and I have not told him my feelings. And then the nun said, The nun was upset at me. I said, You don't ask those questions because those are mysteries. And I said, In my mind, because I was chastised, I said, how could a loving Heavenly Father be mysterious? If He loves me, He wants me to know who He is. So then, you know, I let that go. And then one day I was curious again, and I said, uh, Sister, uh, Mother Superior, you know, why do we believe in one God and three divine persons? I said, How could that be? How could Jesus Christ become the Holy Ghost? And then, pretty soon, he becomes Heavenly Father. And then, you said know, the three of them are one. I, you, Could you explain a little bit more, how, you know, why this is? And this other nun scolded me again and said, Why are you talking about those? Because, you know, but I said in the Bible, you know. I started reading the mm-hmm. Bible, and that is a no-no in the in the Catholic Church. You read the Catechism, the book that they give you, but not the Bible. So I said,
0: See, "I what? didn't even know that. Wow! Yeah.
3: It is almost like, why do you read the Bible? The priest is the only one to read the Bible." And I said, "Why can I not read it? You know, and said, because this is the book that you need to read, the Catechist book." So I said. You know, from then on, you know, my mind was working, my heart was aching for truth. So I said, Okay, I am not going to become a nun if everything is mysterious, you know. And so then I started running with because I was an extern in the convent, I started running with um some friends who are Baptist and Lutherans and all that stuff, and I went I went to their church. And then I said, um, what's, you know, what do you believe in your church? So then, they you know, they told me, and it was good. It was really good. And then I went to the Lutherans, and it was good, too. But something was lacking. And I said, they're all good, but they're not it. You know, something is lacking. So, you know, the more I read the, the, the Bible, the more I wanted to know more. And then... So one day my sister got converted, my oldest sister, and then he said, "Wow, who who are the Mormons?" You know, I kind of um, did not like it that she converted to the Mormons because we're Catholics, and we're supposed to be Catholics. And so when she sent the the elders to our house, I avoided them for for a few years. I avoided them. But then, when you know, when I was trying to look for the church, and then my my older sister has a shop that uh, her sales people were LDS, and so I used to go to their shop, and one of the girls invited me to their um, MIA. At that time, the young movement was MIA. So I said, okay, what is MIA? You'll know if you come with us. It's fun. So then I went. It was so fun. And I said, wow, this is fun. And then they also, you know, talked about God and all that stuff. And and then so I went for three MIAs every Friday evening. And then they said um, they, "They they had fun. They had prayer. They had lesson. And, you know, Something was bothering me in my heart when I you know I was listening to those lessons. and then said, You know you will know more if you come on a Sunday. And I said, Oh, that might be a problem because you know I take my my younger siblings with me to the Catholic Church every Sunday and we walk and the the Mormon church is a lot farther, like maybe four miles away, and the Catholic Church was just a block away. And my my I did not want my dad noticing I'm running around with Latter Day Saints girls. So then, but then I said, "Okay, well, you 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 come anyway because you know it will be fun. You'll know more people and all that stuff." So then I said, "Okay." So then the first time I went, so I had to walk four miles from our house to the church. And then at the door, of the elders greeted really, me. Everybody was friendly and all that stuff. So I said, "I like this church. They're all so friendly." And then we learned about Joseph Smith, and I said, "Ooh, ooh who is Joseph Smith?" They said, "He's a prophet." There's only prophets in the Bible, you know, and all that stuff. I did not know that there was modern-day prophets. And then so I said. Okay, so then, you know, I went some more to their church, and then the missionaries came to our house. And then, um, you know, I used to hide from them, but now I kind of entertain them. And then one of the missionaries said, um, here is a Book of Mormon. I need you to read it. And then, so I I said... um, And then I said, well, if I read, but I already have a Bible. I said, I am reading the Bible. Well, you will understand the Bible more if you will read the Book of Mormon. But because I was hungry and I was thirsting for this truth. And so I said, okay, I will read the Bible. And then the missionary said, but you have to read the promise in 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 the Book of Mormon first. So gave me the promise that it says if you should read these things and if you will read with uh, with a sincere heart with real intent you know he he will manifest the truth of it to you and by the power of the holy ghost you will know the truth of all things and you know when i read that it touched my heart and but i was very afraid at the same time And then so I went in the, in our, our yard was very big. We have five acres. So I went in one of the wooded area. So I read the Book of Mormon. And then in my mind, I said, what if this is true? What if, what if the Book of Mormon is true? And if it is true, then Joseph Smith must be a prophet. But I wanted to prove Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet, you know, because so then I read the Book of Mormon. The more I read, the more I felt it was right, and the more scared I was. And then so the after that, you know, I told myself, "What if? If what if the Book of Mormon is true? What if the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true? What are you going to do?" That was. That was the reason why I was afraid, because I I, I did not know how to face it.
0: I wanted to expand on that a little bit, if we could, Mm -hmm. because at least what I'm feeling hearing your story is, Mm -hmm. you grow up in a different faith, Mm -hmm. and what I've heard talking to a lot of people who begin having faith crisis, or Mm -hmm. questions, or wanting to explore, uh, answers to questions. Mm-hmm. They often deal with this guilt of, well, if I'm questioning, it's because something's wrong with me, and I'm not, you know, doing what I ought to. I I wonder if mm. you ever felt kind of those mixed emotions.
3: Um, no, <laughs> I was I was a stubborn person. I I did not think of it as me not doing my work because I know I was faithful in everything that was required of me so
0: you knew some, there was something else out there but
3: i you. i yeah. knew something was missing and you know because i wasn't getting the answer that i needed from from the nuns and so you know there was the real big question for me then is uh, what if it was true what am i going to do big question
2: so, when did you end up getting baptized? Yeah, so then
3: um, this is a tricky one because I was 18 years old. And in the Philippines, until you're 21, you're not legal. I mean, you're not adult. So then I have to have permission from my parents. And so I said, I know I will not be able to get the signature for my baptism, but I said, but we already scheduled. And so I said, so I was praying, fasting, and praying for one week, and I said, how am I going to approach my dad to sign this uh, consent? So then in my mind, I said, okay, I am going to time time him. If he's rushing to go to work, I will be rushing to go to school and go to him and say, sign this, I need this, you know. So then, I, I waited in outside the door, and I said, "Oh my gosh, it's taking a long time to go to work." And so when he, I knew he picked up his lunchbox, and then I picked up my books, and I pretended to walk to school now, and then I ran back, and I said, "Dad, you can't go to work. I need you to sign this. I need this today." And I, lo- then I love did hearing not this. He didn't even yeah. read it. He just, and I said, oh, "Yes." So I took it, ran, ran, ran to school, and then I gave it to the missionaries.
0: I love hearing that side of you, because that's exactly what I would do as a teenager if I wanted to go on a field trip or <laughs> out with friends. Like, Mom, Dad, just send this really quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is legendary. Yeah.
3: And it worked, and they said yes. <laughs> I know weird. it was bad, but but you know just like the book of mormon says look at uh lehi and 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 uh, his brothers they had to go back to to laban right but at least I, they had to find I a didn't way kill my dad yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: luckily it didn't come to that <laughs> okay.
0: it didn't get even close
1: um, yeah, <laughs> moral, it moral of the story is don't read the fine print
2: mm-hmm. yes so that's it Okay. Um so from there w- you came to the states after your mission. Um mm-hmm. where did you go when you first got here?
3: When when we came here? Yeah. Uh we we went to uh live with my sister first in Forest Grove. So my um My sister petitioned us, my mom was already here, so my mom petitioned us, uh, the rest of the children to migrate to the United States. Mm -hmm. So we came here in May of 1986, I think. So then we started in in Forest Grove and then we came down to uh, Springfield after six months.
2: So I'm always curious with people who moved to the States, like what were some culture shocks here
3: um i did not have any because um we were so used to the americans coming to the philippines and all that stuff and and because of the church you know the missionaries were all americans and the most of the leaders were americans so we kind of you know kind of know the only thing the only cultural shock i guess was being called a minority you know <laughs> when we when we got to church and some somebody, somebody in the back said oh minorities and i said what and so i asked my sisters i said oh, oh, were you called minority before when you because they 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 were ahead of of, of me and my other sister and said no i, I just heard Somebody at the back call us mi- call us minorities, and say, And then I said, "Well, it makes sense, because the the majority is Americans, so we are minority, you know." Yeah. So I said so. That's okay. So that was my first experience of being a minority.
1: Yeah, really, really quick. I want to just add something. Um, the United States owned the Philippines for a little bit, mm-hmm. like it was a United States territory. Hence. Why Americans were always there?
4: Uh, yeah,
1: and then like after World War II, I think. Yeah, after
3: in. yeah, that's right. After World War II, they kind of, um, but they, because they liberated uh, Philippines from the Japanese, and so there were American bases there, you know, Clark Air Base and uh, Subic Bay, and so you know it, they were freelancing, so and um, the Americans. Um, Bought a lot of land for mining, so they kind of mine because Philippines by nature is rich with minerals mm. yeah, and so that's how it happened
0: yeah
2: cool. another two things on here um says that you are a cancer survivor, and also um that you confronted an experienced lawyer about the Book of Mormon oh <laughs> so yeah that, which yeah. one of those would you like to touch on first oh
3: <laughs> well, let's let's do the the lawyer first, because that was when I was serving a mission in the Philippines, and um, I was, okay, I think I was four months in the mission field and I was training a newbie. And so that was a little scary for me because we were placed in, in an area where it has been tracked by the elders many times. So it was a dead area, so they put the sisters in there. So, and, and, uh, and the commission we had was to look for leaders. The members will come soon, but look for leaders first because the church was new. We needed leaders. We don't have a stake. The district is way far away and all that stuff. So, so that's what our mission president said. So we were looking for professionals. And in the Philippines, it's not hard to look for professionals because they have name tags on their gates, mm. like Jason Kister, medical doctor, and all this professor. stuff. So, yeah, professor. So, and we were <laughs> tracking. <laughs> <laughs> professor, doctor, <laughs> is put there. Jason Kister, medical, MD. You know, <gasps> and, but but that's how houses are in the Philippines when, especially in the rich area. So then. Um, so that day, that week, we were tracking. We needed to somehow teach somebody. So it was my turn to knock on this door, and I hated knocking on the door because it says lawyer, and then it's a criminal, a criminal lawyer. And then so we we knocked, and he was friendly. He took us in, and we, he, he did when he took it. Took us in because he looked at my companion first. He's white, she's white, so she's a Dutch American. So that was the reason maybe she let us. He let us in because, hey, I'm just a Filipino, another you know, uh, low life Filipino in there. So then um, he took us in, and then we were talking about, uh, you know, introduced ourselves about the church, and Book of Mormon, and all that stuff, and then he listened intently to what my companion said and then so then it was my turn to bear my testimony about the book of mormon and i said this is a true book uh you know this is a companion to the bible and it is more exact than any other book in you know about the gospel he was the, you know explaining that it was translated by Joseph Smith, the prophet, and all that stuff. And he was looking at me intently, and he took the book. And I said, how old are you? I said, I'm 21. What, uh, what, um," so I said, did you finish college? Not yet. And then, so I said, you don't know anything. I said, "Do you know what I who I am?" He said, "I am a criminal lawyer, and I know a lot of things. I know many things. You don't know anything." And you know, he threw the Book of Mormon down on the floor, and that is a trigger for me, because hey, and they, in my mind, in, in, it says, "When when you meet people that are cruel, and you can confound them." Because as a missionary, you have the power to confound people. And it went in my mind immediately. I said, oh my gosh. So I was trembling. I I picked up that Book of Mormon and looked at him straight in the eye. And I said, Mr. Ledesma, you don't know everything. In fact, you do not know anything about this book. This book is the truest book in the whole earth. You will never know, and you will not know because you refused it, and I am sorry for you. Took it and then and then left. I did not give him time to rebuttal, but I was just really angry in my heart. It wasn't angry, angry, but I wanted to confound him. So he he, he didn't say anything after that because we, we walked away as fast as we could possibly. One block along the way, I started crying. I was trembling because that was my first time to confront somebody, you know, and a professional at that. And then the following week, we were attracting the same place again, and he called me. And I said, Not again. I said, Flag me. I said, Sister, Sister will come here. And then I said, um, so, hi, Mr. Ledesma, pretending I wasn't afraid. And then he says, you know, come here, I need to tell you something. And I said, okay. So we were friendly and he said, you know, there are a lot of missionaries walking up and down this road, a lot of elders and now the sisters. I will forget them all, but I will never forget you. And I said, thank you, sir. But but can i just leave this book of mormon with you you may not read it because you know everything but i'll leave it there <laughs> <you know? laughs> so i left in the book of mormon and that was the last conversation we had
1: i just like that um when he, he like throws it down like the way you said it's just like fight bells like started ringing like <laughs> like the dinger in the fight also nobody else got this experience but when she was saying that, she looked dead at me, and I got, I got what was his name, Mr. Ledesma? I was about to say that. I got his full experience, so that was pretty
2: interesting.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you have the the best lawyer face, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah I hope our viewers know. Yeah, Lou like, exactly. leaned onto the table and was staring dead in the eye <laughs> at Andrew. It was kind of scared. Like, yelling was, like, at him. Drew
0: almost wet his pants, I think.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: Plus, the I <team. laughs> might have to check later. No, uh, I,
1: I heard the fight, I was like, you looked right at me, it was just like uh, <laughs>
0: I, I've always thought that was a beautiful story and you, you told me it before. Mm-hmm. Um I wonder decades later, this is still an important memory for you. What what makes you remember this so fondly? What why is it so important?
3: Because he tested my testimony. And he tested my the conviction that I have that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that I belong to the true church of Jesus Christ. He tested me and I wasn't about to let my maker down because he called me. He called me to serve and he called me to preach his gospel. And I have him, you know, on my back, so. So th- I, that I—that was the first time ever that I braved anybody. If I can do it again, maybe not, <laughs> because at that time I have the Holy Ghost.
0: <laughs> I—if we could, if we don't have anything else on that, um, and talk with us a little bit about the type of cancer you were diagnosed oh. with and.
3: Yeah, I was diagnosed with um, breast cancer about um, twenty years ago, and uh, at first, um, when the test came, the doctor said uh, it's and what do you call this? It's staged. No, it's. It's, um, huh, I forget the term.
0: There's a couple different, I mean, the most common would be a ductal cell carcinoma.
3: Yeah, but, but he says, um, oh, it's, we, we don't know yet. He said when after okay. two weeks that he, we don't know, we, we are uncertain if it's cancer or not. Yeah. So then I said, okay. So then you know i when in my mind, I said, "Okay, if it is cancer because they don't know yet, they're still testing, and it's already two weeks. I said, "If it's cancer, this is what I'm going to do so before my diagnosis, I was already planning what I was trying to do, and when he called me and he says it was can- it's cancer," and then he said, "Um, okay, so what what are we going to do next?" and so I said, "Um." Well, we can have biopsy or we can have mastectomy. And I said, Tell you what, because I was reading on it and they said if you have breast cancer on one breast, the other one would make whatever happened to the other breast. So then I was thinking I do not want to go through surgery twice. So I said, Okay, this is my decision, I told the doctor and um you know i would like to have bilateral mastectomy blah, blah 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 and he was shocked because i already have my decision before he even said cancer i said because i was mulling about it if if you don't know what it was then maybe it was cancer because you you know because she was testing and so from then on i said okay let's do surgery and within in my mind it was I treated it as an adventure because I did not know. I I've never had that experience before, and I'm I did not want to be scared. So I said, "This is an adventure." So, that's so how I did.
2: How long was it before you, like I guess, officially beat cancer? Uh,
3: and, until what?
2: How long was it until you beat cancer?
3: Oh, um, a long. 20 years now I'm still I still don't have any cancer so that's so, that's pretty good
1: you got it removed so early that it didn't like take yes any on you? Mm-hmm.
3: It, uh, it wasn't in my lymph nodes so that, yeah. that's the thing if it's in your lymph nodes then you will have a recurrence a lot more because people in my support group a lot half of them already died so
0: yeah, you, you caught it pretty early people caught it, with early. it as, yeah you know a, as early as they caught it with you, it sounds like, the, I think it's a 90% or above survival rate.
3: Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I was monitoring myself because I was cystic to begin with. And so I monitored myself, so breast exam, and there was this one, one cyst that is not showing, but I know it is there. Even the doctor had to guide him where it is. And then one day, just one day, it was prominent. And I said, this is not good, so... That's how we discovered it.
0: What role did your faith in Jesus Christ and the church play in your cancer recovery?
3: Oh, uh, big time. Because I, when, when I was going through chemotherapy, there were days where I wanted to die because it was so hard. And, you know, I, I told Heavenly Father, if, if you want me, take me. Because I, I I really cannot take this beating on my on myself because it's too hard. you know, and and I have my family there staying at our place because they are supporting me, they're taking care of me. And then even with my surgery and chemotherapy, I went to work. And my mom, my mom said, "What you going to work?" And my boss said, "Why are you doing? What are you doing here?" And then I told my boss because I cannot stay home. Everybody's there. And I start crying, you know, because you know I I had to put up a front that I'm not scared and that you know. Because in my support group it says that you know you you set the tone and everybody's worried about you that you're going to die. So I said I'm not going to die, you know, and um, so. But then I always have these um, kneeling sessions with Heavenly Father that uh, you know I always tell him if if you want me, take me, because uh, you know I am ready. I said I. I have faith that somehow if you take me, you need me. And if you don't need me, let me live a few more years to be able to, you know, do whatever it is you want me to do. I said, I have a lot of spiritual goals in my life. And if you take me now, I won't be able to fulfill it. But if you let me live, I'll fulfill them.
1: Now that it's been like 20 years and you're like, You've, mm-hmm. you've made it um how do you feel about the song the hymn uh I'll go where you want me to go
3: I like that I I like it but I don't like it <laughs> I I like it because I would um just like when I was sick I was I was prepared very prepared and and even now that I'm alive I'm trying to be prepared to what happens. And that's why I want my life in order so that if I die tomorrow, I have no regrets.
0: You had one quote here in our show notes that I love, and I kind of want to read it word for word. You said, your knowledge of the gospel has made it so you don't fear death because of the knowledge of the resurrection. And if you continue to improve your faith, you'll end up with Jesus Christ and, and where he lives. Mm-hmm. And for me, that makes me wonder how much differently do you live your life when we erase that fear of death and the inevitability mm-hmm. there? I'm...
3: I think, yeah, it you know, because your faith is impacted very much when you are in that near-death experience. And... Um, And I have, just like I told Heavenly Father before, I don't want my siblings to experience what I've been through because it's really hard. So I said to Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for making me go through that experience because I'm more sympathetic on the people who are going through illnesses and all that stuff. And I thank him that my sisters that didn't have to go through it, because they might not make it. Mm -hmm. I think it was just my fighting spirit trying to make me survive.
0: We could stay here, or I had another question we could go on. Well, I have a question.
1: Well, not a question. So this was 20 years ago. this isn't as much about you this is just in general about like cancer Mm -hmm. so this is like coming out of the 90s where like a really big like thing was like aids is like and then Mm -hmm. it kind of became cancer from what i hear Mm -hmm.
0: is that true like early 2000s cancer was much more deadly than it is now um there are a lot of advancements and we'll just you know because it's such a broad topic we'll stick to we'll stick to breast cancer yeah, there's there's been a lot of development in the treatment mm-hmm. of breast cancer. We've realized now that most breast cancers are receptive to certain hormones. Mm-hmm. And so we're often able to treat women uh, with non-chemotherapeutic agents. So hormone therapy, for example, for a breast cancer to prevent mm-hmm. recurrence. Whereas before, we kind of had the option of surgery and or chemotherapy with radiation. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, so why I'm I'm
1: asking that is because you said that within your support group, like half of them died.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So is it like the fatality of cancer? Is it less now? It's less with a lot yeah. of cancers, like I was mentioning. And, you know, maybe we'll clarify what type mm-hmm. exactly you had. But mm-hmm. for the most common type of breast cancer, uh, ductal carcinoma, mm-hmm. um, the survival rate for somebody who finds it before it's entered their lymph nodes is about 90%. Mm-hmm. And even when it's entered the lymph nodes, I think the five-year survival is above 60%, 65%. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's high numbers now.
3: Yeah, breast cancer, there is a um, high survival rate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
0: it wasn't that way before. Like, mm-hmm. it's
3: yeah. it's
1: changed. So. Uh, and one more question uh, about, like, cancer, and you don't have mm-hmm. to answer this if you don't mm-hmm. want to. Um because none of us have actually gone through chemotherapy and i've just never known what that's like but you said it was just like awful
3: it's <laughs> hell it's
1: so, like i'm like asking like what does it do to your
0: body because know it's just like you're getting yeah. shot up with like radiation you're... i'm actually curious too because i hear little bits but yeah. you're a doctor yeah, too, like... yeah. <laughs> and
3: you know um going through chemotherapy it's At first, when they are, because I did infusion, I sat there for three hours, and you're okay. Because they inject your steroids to kind of combat whatever it is. First day, I am all energy. Second day, I start waning. Third day, I am sick like hell. And then I cannot, you know, my... like, like, Like...
4: like I cannot eat.
3: I cannot smell. I, I, you know, I throw up and all that stuff. And those were the days where I wanted to go to work because I don't want my mom. Because my mom was the most one I was so concerned about because she's already old, and I don't want him to, her to be worried too much about me. So I go to work, but I don't really go to work. I stay on. Uh, I park at Right Aid Pharmacy. And I cry, and I cry and I pray, and I you know, and I rest, and I wait four hours, and then I go home. I'm fine. Then i when I get go home, I said, "Hi, everybody. You know like nothing happened, But inside of me, I was dying,
1: yeah so, yeah. so it's like a really intense sickness. Hmm? It's like a really intense sickness, oh,
3: intense, really intense. It's almost like, you don't know if you're tired, you don't know if it's just not knowing what it was. And those were the times where I said, Okay, take me.
1: Just like you know, in pain.
3: there's so much pain, there's so much dizziness, that's just that's just weird. Weird. And I, I don't want anybody to experience it. It's not good.
4: Yeah. yeah.
1: But, so, uh, that's that's I, I can't even imagine, yeah, that, like, some sort of ghost-like pain, like, yeah. don't know where it's coming from.
3: And that, that's the reason why when uh, I think Heavenly Father he let me have my cancer first, because immediately after my treatment, my husband was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. I just got done with my radiation. It's almost like... I was so angry. I was angry. I was angry. I went. I knelt down the day I heard that he had lung cancer. I went straight to my bedroom and prayed. And I said, Heavenly Father, you cannot do this. I said, I've already went through a lot. And now you're taking my best friend." I can't do this. I can't live alone. And, you know, I prayed maybe for an hour. I was just pouring my heart out to heavenly father and then i was conversing with him i can't believe he was answering my question right then and i was telling him what i want and then i remembered the uh, you know making a diamond in the making and i said and i don't want to be a diamond i just want to be a pearl <laughs> i don't have to shine you know and then so he told
4: I don't want to be a diamond, I want to be a pearl. <laughs> There's too
3: much pressure, you know, to to be a diamond. So then uh, then he answered me again and he said, you know, I'm closing this door, but I'm opening another door for you. You have spiritual goals that need, that you want to fulfill. If he was alive, you will not be able to fulfill those goals because he wasn't a member. So I said, but I will, you know, you know me. Whatever goal I set, I will fulfill them. Then she said, it won't be as good, but don't worry. He said, "I I will, I am with you. And so that's when I stood up and I said, okay, I surrender. I said, I surrender, I surrender, but just be with me because I cannot do this alone. And he was always with me hard life
1: yeah so your husband he wasn't a member he or?
3: wasn't my first husband wasn't a member
1: and what year you said he he um sorry i'm only getting but into all the hard
0: topics but no yeah. that's okay yeah, i'm it's actually okay. i'm wondering is this when you were lou Humphreys then? yeah
3: i was lou Humphreys and he died in 2002
0: for those who haven't been members of our ward for a while and I include myself in that group. Uh, Some people were referred to Lou as Lou Comfries. They were around in that era, and other people were Lou Birdsall. Mm-hmm. That, that confused me. That was <laughs> like the first two years, we were in
1: the world. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't alive yet. My parents had been married for two years, maybe. at yeah, that point. Yeah, like, you
3: were still a baby.
1: No, I wasn't no, Maybe I wasn't you alive. were not there, yeah.
3: Yeah, uh-huh. because they were they were young men, young women at that time, I think, or maybe they just got married.
1: I don't even know if my parents had moved into the ward at that time. Yeah, I I've
3: seen no Charlotte was in. I have not seen uh, the because I was teaching Neil.
1: Oh really? In primary. Was Neil. Neil was a youth. Neil. Neil yeah. So oh.
0: this is. I'm I'm newbie still. So sorry. Neil,
1: who, neil westover neil westover neil, is my neil own. young
0: yeah. Neil, yeah.
1: he was in Primary <laughs> <I feel like laughs> he was
3: he was in primary and i was i was his teacher
1: so wait what year did you move into this ward hmm? what year did you 1986. Move 1986. so my family has been in this ward since like i think 77. like mm. my parents or not my parents but my mom and her family they grew up here so yeah. You know, the Westovers for a while. Yeah. Then the Wahlburgers. Uh huh. Yeah.
3: I, I, I knew your mom. So, a, I, the Westovers, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: As a young woman? And,
3: and the young women before? Yeah, it was my
1: mom and the young women's when you were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's oh, funny because you taught Neil. That's so neat, yeah. You taught Neil in primary. I and know. now you have like.
3: And like you had Caleb, Caleb yeah. So I said, wow, full circle. <laughs> <laughs> be, yeah.
4: It's if you got his kid. Yeah, it, you it is. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. I, uh, do we want to stay here or I, I... can move on to another question if we want mm. um, Yeah. sure I sure. wanted to know more about your favorite calling you've had in the church
3: my favorite calling okay
0: Wait,
1: can, my... I, can I place a bet on what it is because I know yeah. you've been for a really long time mm-hmm. hey, don't listen I think
2: she's going to say Relief Society
1: Oh, I'm wrong? You're I've, wrong. I haven't looked at this. Am I wrong?
2: You're definitely wrong. She's probably the thing that every high schooler would disagree with. Seminary? Yeah. Seminary. You what? Read the
3: show notes like- oh, seminary.
4: Nobody <laughs> gave me any show <laughs> notes.
2: I didn't get any show notes. Bishop oh. came to my house right as I was about to fall asleep, and he said, Lexi, here are the new show notes. And you then came- I left them at home.
0: I
1: came to your house, too. Did you give me her show <laughs> notes? No, they're... We were talking about... Yeah. Oh. I thought you gave me next next podcast show notes Sorry, next time. We'll, i guess we'll, i just didn't read you getting better, we'll keep getting better. <laughs> i had the show notes
0: apparently so That's what okay. what is your, what was your favorite
4: um
3: seminary teacher um because um when i was teaching but this was in the philippines you know i was teaching oh, okay. seminary in the philippines and um a lot of the students i've taught have, have gone on missions the impact that you have in seminary is so much that you know that even your your students don't forget you like even now uh, that i'm old uh, some of my students in way back when they remember me as their seminary teacher it's almost like oh my seminary teacher and we're all friends in in facebook you know and do you remember when you were in the, we were in seminary and all the stuff? you guys remember those, you know. So, but yeah, that is the most um, um, my favorite ones because of the impact of the gospel. You know, it's a rigorous um, study of the gospel, and so I liked it, and I liked it because we learned the scriptures more in depth. And hopefully that you know, the impact that it will make into the students is so much that they change their lives.
1: Sorry, I just thought of something funny. <laughs> you you mentioned Facebook, so my my mind automatically went to Jorge because <laughs> he he made his Facebook. I don't know if that's in this recording or. One Definitely our, not. Is that it's in odd. our test?
2: Recordings? That was in that was in our test record, like our pre-test recording, test recording, because we figured out it wasn't working. Remember?
1: Because I broke the microphone <laughs> yeah. I didn't break the microphone, Casey. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, yeah, I agree. Seminary teachers, like they do so much for your like development. Um, I've had two different seminary teachers, and I'm gonna remember them forever. Like mm. they do so much for like your spiritual growth as a kid mm-hmm. or teenager. And, like, the ability to wrangle, I don't know if yours was an early morning seminary.
3: No, our, we were lucky because our seminary is after, after school. I mean, after school. After after Sunday services. Oh, so it was on Sunday. We, we have once, but the assignment is for the whole week. So we stay longer. So
1: the, mm. I just think it's amazing the ability to wrangle a bunch of... Um, high school teenagers like mm-hmm. hormone hormonal bundles like uh-huh. just to get up and like learn about jesus every morning and it's That's like true. it's amazing and it like it does so much like i don't know lexi do you like seminary
2: i like seminary yeah i'm just putting you lexi, when like when i can stay I awake, am, yeah. can <laughs> stay awake. <laughs> no i've never fallen asleep in seminary
0: i have subbed at seminary and lexi is very attentive and she makes good comments I have fallen asleep
2: in
1: chemistry, but I've never fallen asleep in seminary.
2: I, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a good thing to yeah. fall asleep in. I really enjoy seminary. I think it is really good for youth, and especially when we can like actually pay attention. I'll have my moments when it's just like I'm only there because I have to be there, but um, when I when I can focus, it it definitely helps, and it's a good start to the day um, mm. as it being like an early thing. Um, some days I hate that but then other days I feel like it's it's really just like the perfect start to your day or like for you guys you got on a Sunday to your week that's yeah. good
0: like for me oh sorry did you want to say something I was gonna I was gonna ask her actually about Relief Society so we can stay oh, here for I a have minute. one yeah, okay.
1: mm-hmm. Um like for me for seminar my brain works when I get a lot of details and can like put together a picture so I like to ask a lot about like your timeline and like when mm-hmm. things happen so I kind of like place it in like a line. Uh-huh. So, what seminary does for me? Because, like, I like history, so uh-huh. I like to learn all the stupid details that don't matter, because uh-huh. it puts together the whole picture for me. So, what seminary does is like we like we've gone through like every like chapter in the Old Testament, which was a trip, but like it puts together this big picture that I, I had mm-hmm. not I had no idea what the Old Testament was about mm-hmm. before this year. So, that was a random tangent that I got off on. Seminary is great. Mm-hmm.
0: That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, Lou, I, I was hoping to talk with you about what it was like when you got called as Relief Society president. What your reaction was. I oh, know he's giving you a calling um, right now. No. Sorry. I, re- I released her. <laughs> and, yeah, We overlapped for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I thought there was a mistake <laughs> because yeah. because uh, I didn't know a lot of the sisters and I only didn't know, you know, the more prominent ones. And so when I was called as Relief Society President, I kind of hesitated. But then I said, you know, one of the talks that we have God doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be qualified because God qualifies you or trains you to be whatever you need to be in the position. So when I was called, I was nervous. I was calling the 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 you know sis, the, all of the exes, you know missionaries, I mean missionary religious societies as sisters. I call Shanna Johnson. I call I call everybody. And what do you think? And so I get uh, I I glean from their their experiences, and because I did not know a lot of the sisters, I went out of my way to invite them, kind of. Hey, would you like to have lunch with me? Blah, blah, blah. And, and at first, you know, I go to their house and I, you know, um, introduce them as uh, I am the religious society president, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I go in a casual way so that they are not afraid of me. And so, and then, you know, I also bring flowers so for those people that I don't really know and they look like they're grumpy. So I always have flowers in my car.
0: So if yeah. I ever get flowers, does that mean I look grumpy that day? <laughs> uh,
3: maybe not. But, but, but you know, because um, I started with those people who uh, who haven't gone to church. And so there was this lady who um, whom I knocked at the door. He was wheelchair bound. I think he can still walk a little bit, but he was on his wheelchair. And so I knocked and then this says, who is there? And I said, oof, you know, one of these things. I, I And so I said, delivery. <laughs> I showed the flowers. You know, and, I, oh, okay. And so when she opened the door, I said, this is a delivery from the real Society. And so, and I am Luber Salt, the real Society president. She said, oh, oh, come in. You know, and that's how I get into their houses. You know, I am very, and, you know, I do not... I'm Oh uh, uh, what does it I I I look for ways in which to approach people not necessarily about the church until I get to know them so that they are comfortable with me and if they're comfortable with me then we start talking about the church.
0: Yeah, I I want to share something and it's getting a little bit mushy but mm-hmm we you and i were in the ward council together for a couple of years i was a mm-hmm. bishopric counselor at the time and yeah. i feel like my time with you was a, a masterclass in how to minister mm-hmm. to people um, and i just i remember all those stories of people we were trying to help in the ward and you would mm-hmm. always mention something like i just went to lunch with this person or some mm-hmm. other non-traditional thing that wasn't just sitting on their couch and giving them a lesson Mm -hmm. and i just want you to know that for me it it changed my viewpoint on how i minister and i I still aspire to that but um i i wanted to ask you how do you view ministering and and what it should look like and maybe share with the word and the rest of the listeners Mm -hmm. Um, some advice on how to minister and reach people.
3: Yeah, to be ministering is loving, you know, because you can't minister if you don't love the person, you know, and, and you can't minister if you don't know them. You cannot minister if you're not friends with them. And so the, that's the reason why our approach as a religious uh, uh, society presidency was get to know them. Get to know them until they are comfortable with you and show them love, you know, friendship. It's all. That's all they're longing for, you know, because they don't have any connection with anybody, especially those people who hasn't come to church for a long time. And then I would tell them, you know, and even by phone or sometimes I just text them and I said, if you go to church this Sunday and look for the brown 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 lady who is short, uh, don't look up,' don't look down. And then I, I can, I can make a joke, you know. Out of, you know so then they're comfortable with me. They're joking and all that stuff. And so that's how we get them.
1: It's like the pure opposite of like and Bear was like ministry, It's like, like, don't look straight forward. Look straight up. So <laughs> me.
3: That's why I always tell them look down because I'm there. I'm short. yeah. But, um, yeah.
0: Oh, I, I. I think we're at about time. Looking yeah. Here, uh, does anybody have any final questions here? I I had one more.
1: Yeah, I have. I have one. It's kind. Of, it's not about this topic. I mean, it might go a little bit over, but I really wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about this, because um, for all the people that are like listening, like you're like a big local, mm-hmm. like, l- like leader in like the community, local community. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what you do for our local community? I think specifically the Asian community, right? Well, I wanted her to say that. I was oh. like, I was leading oh. her up for that. Come on, man. I was Failed. setting it up. All right. Uh, what do you do in the, the community? In the community? Yeah.
3: Um, okay. I used to be really, really active with the Asian community, Um. especially when my first husband died. I needed to do something. And so what better to do than be active in a community that that you love, you know? So um, the uh, first I reorganized the Philippine-American Association because it was falling apart. There were no leadership and all the stuff. And since it is a 501c3, if you lose that, it would be hard to get it back so and then my sister who worked at costco he she volunteered me and said my sister knows how to organize things to these um to the um what they call the administrator because we didn't have president we only have so then um so she called me and i said who in the heck gave <laughs> you my name <laughs> i am so busy so then so I said, oh your sister works at Cosco. <laughs> you know, so then um yeah. So what so then I became so I had to reorganize it. So in order to organize it, I need to know why it is not working. So I interviewed the membership because I wasn't a member of that organization before. So I interviewed them. And then the problem was the um the administrator, the higher up. There's the president, and then there is the administrator there. And and, and there, so I said, so I went to her house and said, OK, uh, the good news is, I, I said, I came here for, for two things, one good news, one bad news. So which one do you want to hear first? I said, give me the good news. So I said, OK, the good news is the organization is repairable. We are almost in going to dissolve this because there are no officers at hand. But I can reorganize. The bad news is, I said, get ready. Don't They don't like you. I said, because um, you do not let the president or the officers do what they want to do. You are micromanaging them and telling them what to do instead of them just letting you know what they're doing. And so if you want me to reorganize, I'm willing, but you need to step back, and so if we have elected a president, they are free to move. So he did, so we reorganized it, and I became secretary, because secretary can do a lot of things, you know. And then, so after that, I became president of the organization was secretary for four years, and I was president for four years. And then uh, in the meantime, I was also active in the, um, the other Asian community group. So I became uh, secretary of the Asian American Foundation, and then I became president of the Asian American Foundation. And then I was also involved in the Asian celebration. So I took care of, well, there, were, there were four committees, head committees there. So I took care of the market area, which um, involved 100 vendors, different vendors. And then I was also responsible in inviting all the different um, embassies, Asian embassies and uh, ambassadors. So I got to meet all of them and got to assign them what to do and all that stuff. So that's how I got involved. So cool. Because that's... I was miserable. <laughs> yeah, I was looking, and I was looking for an outlet, and that's how I
2: get did. I
4: don't think
0: <laughs> I uh, had a follow-up question mm-hmm. with the it sounds like two 501c3s that you're working with mm-hmm. what's the scope of those what what mission are they trying to accomplish
3: oh um, like in the philippine american association we help people who are new to the area adjust because some people have cultural shock and all that stuff so we visit them that's wonderful yeah and and you know kind of orient them on what they expect and why they shouldn't be on welfare and all that stuff you know and because you came here for your own free will and then you need to learn the language you need to you know kind of guide them into into um, blending into the society and so that's I'm what mental we
0: do. Notes, just sometimes I see people in the healthcare side that mm-hmm. are still in that situation where they have that need um, of a helping hand to integrate. And mm-hmm. I'll remember that.
3: Yeah. And, and then sometimes they, the court calls us to, to interpret for, you know, court hearings and all this stuff. And so that's why. Um, I still get um, mails from Lane County for job openings to, to distribute to other people and organizations and all that stuff. And If they needed interpretation on, you know, nursing homes, because sometimes, you know, people got old and uh, Asian people get old. And, you know, one, like one time there was this one Japanese uh, in, these are two best friends one Filipino one Japanese and the history in the in in the Philippines is the Filipinos hate the Japanese but these two have dementia they are best friends in real life <laughs> and then they both go in the, in the in the nursing home and you know one 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 moment they are best friends they're really good buddies another moment This Filipino is bitting on this uh, Japanese woman. And so, you know, so I was called to kind of, you know, explain to them what's going on and all this stuff and, you know, interpret between the two. And so, those, we have several roles in fulfilling.
0: So, how many languages do you know?
3: I only speak two Two, Filipino and, and English. I could understand some other dialects yeah. but
1: you know. You your top right in here. Sorry. For just technical stuff.
0: Yeah, I can get. Um Oh, cool. We are still recording. That's great. <laughs> yep. So, any other questions or are we
1: just one yeah. and then I have yeah. a little wrap up thing. Um When did you meet Leo?
3: Um I met him 10 years ago. I was a widow for 11 years, and then we met him, we met online, actually, the LDS uh, line. And so uh, when we started talking, and then I said, okay, I am talking to this guy, and I am not going to compromise my membership, even if, you know, this is a member. So I started giving him this interview, priesthood interview, you know. Oh, we were, like we we sta- we were question. started, you know, talking. So I said, okay. So if he is active in the church, he'll know the answers to this. So I said, who's the name of your bishop? And they said, um, you know. And so I said, don't invent. You need to go to church on Sunday and know the name of your bishop. So he he went there and said, are you active? So yeah, I'm on and off. So I said, "What is your calling?" And he doesn't have any calling. So I said, "Okay, you can fix that too." So then I said, um, "Do you pay your tithing?" I said, oh, "Well, you know, I have a business and blah blah blah, but, but do you pay your tithing?" I said, it's "Now and then." Said, okay, okay, you would need to work on that too. So and then he says, uh, "Are you a temple recommend holder?" And he says. No, you need to work on all of those, and then we will talk. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, uh, but you know, we but we did not meet until then, because uh, I wanted him to you know get all of those before we meet. But we were talking on the phone constantly, so that's how I met him is through online, and it worked.
1: It's cool. It's like that's I've only ever known is YouTube. I've mm-hmm. only ever known you as Looper, it's all. Mm. So,
3: oh, yeah, that's right. So I was yeah. just like
1: interested when when that all happened.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Um, well, thank you for coming on our podcast.
2: Well, thank I hope you. you like
1: our pop guards that are actually just socks.
2: <laughs> Mine has a hole in it. Okay. Yeah, you're just. I think we could invest in new socks.
0: Um, that's th- not I the point. We might, we might have a budget for that. That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, the point is that we're, we're fine. I don't know. Uh, I think they work. Yeah, it does work. Been working good. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It and adds for the socks. It, it builds character. It, really that's what st- it st- does. So really much character, out. Professor Doctor Bishop Keister. It builds character. <laughs> yeah.
2: mm.
1: Anyways, um, before we end, could you, uh, just for all our Tagalog speaking um, members or mm. Jordan Moon, could you say something? Say something to Jordan Moon, if you would, please, or something like. Okay. Call him a name. All
3: right. So, mga taong na kikinig. Uh, maraming salamat. Um, Pakishir na lang ito sa mga ibang tao na kailala nino para maging popular tong aming pop podcast. And kung mayroong kayong mga tanong, itanong nyo sa, sa amin. Okay, maraming salamat. Bye. <laughs>
2: Okay, so you. did Jordan Moon listen to it last week? That's the question.
1: Uh, well, he's going to listen to it this week. Well, he better listen well, to well, this
2: sure. one. What did What did you say there? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> we're, we're allowed to
1: know. Okay. I think Hi. it's just for Jordan.
3: I, I just said, you know, whoever's oh. listening <laughs> to <understand> this language. <laughs> language. thank you. And um, share.
1: Did you call sure. him a name?
3: I didn't call any name.
1: You did? I didn't. Oh, dang it. And no.
3: he so, said, thank you.
0: To, to wrap things up, Lou, because we're we're calling this podcast The Connection. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, we have that so question. for you in, in your life, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how has that helped you to connect with our Savior Jesus Christ?
3: It helps a lot because being a member of the Church, you study a lot about Jesus Christ and reading the Scriptures, especially now in the um, New Testament that we have, you know, we've read the scriptures so many times, but every time you read it, there's a lot of more things that you learn about Jesus Christ that you just, you know, skate through. And so I know that because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I'll be able to Withstand more trials, I am not asking for trials by any means, but <laughs> but I you know <laughs> but, but yeah, but I know that because of him, I am a better person, and because of him, I could tolerate more people, and because of him, I know that I will be able to hopefully go to the celestial kingdom, maybe.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Lou. It, it's been so great having you on. Thanks for taking the time to come join us. Thank Bye. you. Um, h- how do you
1: say goodbye in uh, Tagalog? Um, uh,
4: mm-hmm.
3: I I don't know. Sigana.
1: Sigana. Sigana. My Sigana.
3: Sorry, this is
1: now a Tagalog lesson.
3: I'm
0: not going to try to say that one. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. In this episode of the Connection Podcast, we're on most podcast carriers. So please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care.